last 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street! Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome in, everybody, to the Mass in All Access podcast. Bobby Blanco joining you from the safety of my own home, my apartment in Washington, D.C. Thank you so much for making us a part of your Thursday afternoon. The Nationals wrap up a three-game series in Miami later tonight, uh, so uh, you'll be able to take this game, uh, this podcast and uh, get right into that finale before the Nationals move on on their road trip. It's a long road trip for them um, and then before coming home next week. Let me bring in my co-host, Amy Jennings, who... Actually, is joining me from the Masson newsroom up in Sinclair, uh, Sinclair Studios. Amy, uh, you have the nice studio today. I am stuck at home. Uh, I'm a little bit jealous. Yeah, I have lots of space here. I could spread out. I kind of like it. Um, I have the real light, so I feel a little bit more official. But you have a good setup there, Bobby. And I would just, you could be wearing your underwear and nobody would know. I, I, I'm not. I, not I, I I have a pair of shorts on, but yeah, that is true. <laughs> I do like the, uh, look, COVID's terrible. I think I've mentioned this before. Obviously, this whole situation has been awful, but the one thing, the one positive I'll take away is that the normalization of just being comfortable wherever you go. I am just so done wearing khakis or jeans on a hot day. It's been humid as hell the past couple of weeks here in D.C., so Yes, I am comfortable wearing a polo shirt on top of athletic shorts uh, while I do this podcast. So, yeah, I am much comfortable. Just in case uh, any kind of sport breaks out, I am ready to go. Uh, Maybe take a few hacks, shoot some hoops, whatever it may be. Uh, Amy, you just came back from vacation, too. You're looking a lot more tanner than I am. I'm jealous. How was your trip down to Florida to see Grandma, right? Yeah, um, it was my aunt. Aunt, aunt, my bad. but it it was a lot of fun. Got a lot of time on the beach, and it was kind of hard to come back and come back to work. But um, this week we're covering the BMW Championship, which has been fun. I'm not a big golf fan, never been really big into golf. But to see all of the, you know, the best golfers in the world um, and be around it has been really fun. And the golf course up there at Cave Valley in Baltimore County is beautiful. On that note, I think our boss, Spiro Alafasos, is playing in that pro-am. Uh, I've been following along on his Instagram, so shout out to him. Hopefully Did he, he really? I was there yesterday. I could have seen him. I forget who he's playing with, uh, but it was all over his social media that I saw. So our boss is actually playing in the parameter there, which is pretty cool. Uh, I know he's a big golfer. He, of course, runs a golf stop, play better in Baltimore. So if you need golf golf supplies, go to play better, and, uh, and he'll hook you up because uh, they have all the tools and gadgets. So congrats to him. On that note, actually... I did play golf last weekend on Sunday and actually shot a little humble brag, shot one of the best rounds of my life for my, my buddy's birthday. So okay. every the Mass and All Access Podcast Nationals is just all about yeah, golf. Where did, go? where did you play? What course? I played up in Laytonsville, so it's a little north of where I grew up in Silver Spring, just past Olney. Um, my buddy from kindergarten, it was his birthday, so him and, I, and my friend and his dad uh, played 18 and uh, shot 103. I had a chance of under 100 and I just missed it. I, I botched the last two holes, but I that was also my second time playing all summer. And to shoot that close to 100, I was pretty happy with it. Bobby, that'd be way better than I would ever do. <laughs> I've played putt putt, and that is where <laughs> I will leave it at. <laughs> well, when this is all over, Amy, I'll have I'll, you can come over. You can play Mario Golf on my Nintendo Switch, and that's a lot of fun too. Anyone can play that, and you can actually do the motions. That's a lot of fun. 
There we go. I uh, think I can manage that. Yeah, and you can you can handle that. Uh, <laughs> and while you did while you were on vacation, I had jury duty earlier this week, so can't complain uh, for you too much because I I would have given anything to be at the beach instead of doing jury duty. Uh, yeah. But that's over with. I didn't. I was out pretty early, and uh, we can move on, and we can get to this podcast. So it's a, a jam packed podcast. Obviously, uh, earlier this week, the Nationals made a lot of moves. Um, in terms of promoting their minor leaguers. We're going to go through some of those promotions. Cade Cavalli literally just spoke to the media about his promotion up to uh, AAA Rochester, um, along with Seth Romero. A couple of other minor league guys got bumped up uh, from single A to double A. A couple of guys from the Florida Gulf Coast League, uh, I guess Florida Complex, Complex League it's called now, got promoted mm-hmm. up to single A. So a couple of... Um, a minor league promotions to get through later on in the podcast, kind of uh, the meat of the order. We're going to be talking about this nationals rebuild. Amy, you have a story coming up about how this rebuild can be shorter than others. Is it actually a rebuild? Um, and you and I are going to talk about how uh, this nationals can avoid because the national media has been eviscerating some teams going through rebuilds right now and how the nationals could avoid being part of that conversation a few years down the line. But first, like I mentioned, um, Let's start with Kieber Ruiz. I mean, he obviously started at Triple A Rochester when he came over from the Dodgers, Amy, but he's been on absolute fire. He's tearing up recently. He's starting to show the numbers that he showed and the Dodgers Triple A team now right here after a slow start in Rochester. He's absolutely lighting it up, and we should probably see him in a Nationals uniform sometime soon, don't you think? Yeah, that's super exciting, and the fact that you're going to see, you know, Kate Cavalli throwing them here pretty soon is even more exciting because when we're talking about rebuilds, we have to talk about that trade. And of course, now Cabor Ruiz is going to be a huge part of the Nationals' future. Yeah, and if you check out some of the numbers he has, and, and these are 17 games, but his average is up to 318. He's got five home runs. Four of them have come in the last two days. He had back-to-back two two homer days uh, for the Red Wings. He's got 14 RBIs and OPS just over 1,000 right now. Um, and looking at more deeper, I mean, he's just starting to catch his groove, right? Over his last 10 games, starting on August 13th, he is slashing. He's hitting 450 for average, a 488 on base percentage. He's slugging 900 with six doubles, four homers, the 13 RBIs, eight runs, three walks to only two strikeouts. So Kieber Ruiz showing why he is the Nationals' number one overall prospect, why he was a top prospect in a very good Dodger situation, uh, uh, a system. And uh, like I said, we'll probably see him up in a Nationals uniform sometime soon. Although the catchers up here are playing pretty well in Riley Adams and Tress Barrera. Um, Barrera homing the other night. Riley Adams getting a, a chunk of the playing time. But Kiber Ruiz, uh, the Nationals fans should be exciting. And like you mentioned, he will be catching Kay Cavalli's first AAA appearance on Saturday up in Syracuse uh, as the Red Wings take on uh, the Syracuse Mets. So that would be pretty exciting. A glimpse into the future. Let's move on to Cavalli because we, we did hear from him uh, a little while ago, like I said, uh, Amy. And, um, you know, we talked about a couple weeks ago, is Cavalli probably going to get a promotion to AAA? Should he? Should he just play it out in AA? We're most likely not going to see him at the major league level this year. But, you know, lo and behold, a week later he gets the call and now he's a Red Wing and he's looking to make his first AAA start later this week. 
Yeah, and good for him because the Nationals are certainly going to need the, him at the big league level, if not the beginning of next season, pretty close to the beginning of, of next season. And Kate Cavalli, I mean, obviously got out to an outstanding start at the beginning of this season in Wilmington, getting moved up to Harrisburg where he struggled a little bit. He had some command issues, his walk rate kind of skyrocketed, but at Harrisburg, hitters were still hitting under 200 against him. So he still has good stuff. He just has to work on throwing strikes throwing his secondary pitches for strikes. And I think at the AAA level, obviously BC better hitting. You'll have to get have to get guys out and worry less about, you know, swing and misses as much as he's throwing those secondary pitches for strikes. But he's definitely the future key piece in these, this rebuild. And I think it's exciting for Nationals fans to see him moving up um, along with Seth Romero healthy and throwing and moving up with him. Yeah, it's definitely surprising. I think even Cavalli earlier today mentioned that, you know, you don't see too often guys starting at single A and then working their way to triple A in one season. But, uh, you know, the numbers show that he did earn it, you know, at double A in 11 games, a 279 ERA, 80 strikeouts, the 35 walks is a little higher than you would like. Um, but and that's something David Martinez mentioned earlier this week when uh, Cavalli got the promotion. He says, you know, he's got electric stuff still, but it's still a, a command type thing. He's got to command all of his pitches, command the zone, um, not put guys on base too much. And Cavalli knows that. He said that earlier today. Uh, and so, you know, it is going to be interesting to see how he finished off the season. Look, we're almost to September, so you figure he's probably got five, six, maybe seven starts left on the year. He wants to finish strong. He wants to prove that he earned this and he's able to uh, pitch at that level. It's going to be kind of a learning curve. I'm really curious to see because, you know, like we mentioned, Amy, we haven't really seen Cade totally figure out double A hitters. That ERA is really good, but the whip is closer to two, I think, than one. That's not not something you really want to see uh, from your starting pitcher. So, I'm really interested to see. It's going to be a learning curve. You know, he's he's going to struggle at first like he did with Harrisburg. But I'm curious to see how he kind of bounces back and maybe start three or four at, at Rochester and see if he starts to kind of maybe figure out hitters because he's going to face a lot more patient hitters than he did in Wilmington or Harrisburg, guys that are on the cusp of being major league hitters. So it's going to be a real challenge for him. I'm interested to see how he kind of attacks them, uh, how he learns, how he bounces back from maybe a poor outing. Hopefully the strikeout numbers are still kind of there. But like I said, those hitters are going to be way more patient in terms of how they're going to face him. Right. I mean, he's being forced to kind of grow and develop and move up rather quickly. And it's kind of difficult uh, placement in the minors when it comes to pitchers, because, uh, you know, you hear a lot of pitchers say, once I'm in double A, I feel comfortable because triple A is reserved oftentimes for, you know, um, for start guys, you know, uh, rehab starts, putting that out um, and they feel comfortable. And sometimes it's not as big of a jump as you, you would think. So it'll be interesting to see what he does there, get those last few starts and into the season, work on his command issues. And, and hopefully he'll continue to, to develop and, and become that key piece that he could possibly be in this rotation as soon as next year. Yeah. I mean, if not, I mean, it looks like he's already on his way to at least starting next year. At AAA, but we've got, like I said, we've got a month left of this season. Time to focus on that. Kay Cavalli taking it one step at a time. Like I previously mentioned, he spoke with the media while uh, ahead of his first Rochester start later this week, talking about his promotion, talking about what he's going to be working on over the past couple, next couple of weeks, where he envisions himself in the near future. So here's Cade talking to the media just a couple of minutes ago. In my opinion, it's been a really good year. Um, I've thankfully... Uh, being able to post some starts and um, just stay healthy this season. That was my main goal. And, um, you know, I, I put in the work to keep my body healthy. And um, I think that I just 
put in that work and I let the results be the results. And, you know, it's, I've been having uh, success this year and at times I've been having a lot of failure and, um, you know, that's, that's a baseball season. I've got to just go learn from each of them. And that's what I've been trying to do this year. And, um, you know, I can't control whether I get called up or where I go. So I just try to focus on the work and the preparation and let the results be the results. And that, that was my mindset going into this year. So, um, you know, I didn't have any expectations of like where I wanted it to be or whatever. And, um, uh, I just wanted to go perform and just let the results be the results and just keep working and learning and just trying to learn this pitching thing. So I think it's been a really good year. Like personally, you know, I, I expect to be in the big leagues. That's how I work. That's how my mind will work. Um, you know, continue to work that way, but you know, I've, I've, I'm confident in myself and I believe in my ability. And, uh, you know, I think that I do belong at this level. And I think I belong at the big league level. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's awesome that, you know, it's my first year. It's crazy that I'm in AAA in the first year. It doesn't happen very much. Um, so that, that, that COVID year, um, it did help. It got me some little bit of exposure with the organization and I got to go in and meet the guys and, play against that kind of talent and go and prove myself and say, Hey, look, I can do this. Like I can do this at this level, at this level, at this level. And um, that's just what I tried to do and just prove and, you know, try to almost force this, the, the decision on them. Like I said, I can't control it, but um, I know, like I said, the work I put in, I have a lot of confidence in myself and, uh, I feel like I do belong at this level. So, but I mean, it is, it's cool. It's really awesome that I get this opportunity and it's a little surprising for sure. Very composed young man, uh, young man, I should say, guy, uh, Kate Cavalli. Again, very impressed with how he kind of spoke to us. You know, it's it's not so much of an interview every time we talk to him. It's more of just like a conversation. He just loves talking about what he's working on, the game. Um, he's a very personable guy. And what really stuck out to me right there, Amy, is, you know, he's already thinking about that, he deserves to be in the major leagues, and that's the ultimate goal. Obviously, that's the goal for you know any minor league pitcher, but he just earned his promotion from AA to AAA. Hasn't even made an appearance at AAA yet, and he's already thinking about the major league roster. Uh, it goes to show the kind of lofty goals that he's setting for himself moving forward. Yeah, man, that's the goal. I mean, that's the end goal, and the good news is you don't get promoted if you're pitching bad. So that, that just shows how well he's pitching, how much they see in him um, to make that jump, to start in single A and in the season um, in triple A is certainly an, an accomplishment within itself. And he's going to have to continue to grow and, and develop rather quickly, but to have those goals um, and to want to do it rather fast is, is good. I, I wonder if it's like, because earlier this week, you know, Davey Martinez mentioned when being asked about the young bullpen arms, uh, with the Nationals right now, he he kind of you know was asked like what's the, how do you balance them learning and also just kind of throwing them to the wolves and having them figure out themselves. I kind of wonder if this is a, kind of the same approach with Cade. You know, it's just like they're, I mean, he's he's expects to be successful, right? They they hope he's successful, but you can't expect him to go out there and put up similar numbers that he did in Wilmington or Harrisburg in his first couple of starts. So I wonder if this is a case where, you know, he's earned it. He's pitched really well at double A. Let's see what he's got. And if he struggles, he struggles. Let's see how he bounces back. Let's check out the mental makeup of this guy. Yeah. I um, mean, when, when they're not competitive at the big league level, it kind of makes everything fluid <laughs> and they're kind of just throwing everything to the wall and seeing what sticks. You certainly see it at the big league level, but 
they kind of see a little bit in the minors too, you know, just promote him, see what he does, see if he can handle it. Um, they're certainly doing that to their bullpen arms at the big league level, kind of just putting them out there, seeing who's sinking, who's swimming. And that's the best way to evaluate your talent, especially when you're not um, competing right now. Yep. Uh, of course, Across the minor leagues, too, uh, you, we talked about Cade. Uh, Seth Romero and Andrew Lead also joining him at, at um, Rochester. You mentioned it's good to see Seth Romero healthy right now uh, and, and pitching well. So, I mean, it's been a long time coming. He was, what, the 2017, 16, no, 17 first-round pick by the Nationals. So, you know, kind of four years, and this is actually his first start at AAA. Of course, he made a couple of appearances out of the bullpen at the major league level last year, but this will be his first AAA trip. Uh, for Seth Romero, so good to see him healthy. Uh, others of note, uh, you know, Johan Adon, uh, the right-hander uh, who pitched a complete game shutout in his last start um, with uh, Single A Wilmington, got the promotion to Double A, uh, figuring that he's going to take a volley spot in that rotation. And then recent draft picks getting called up from Florida, like I mentioned, including Darren Baker. They are now at Low Single A Fredericksburg playing. Uh, with the Fred Nats, I saw a highlight earlier today that Darren Baker uh, made a sick double play grab uh, in shallow right field at playing second base, um, and uh, that he also uh, got, had, a, had a double or something like that. It was a, a quick jump for him, and he's already promoted and showing what he can do at the high single A or low single A level, excuse me. So, yeah, everyone moving on up, and that's good to see you late in the season. That's what you want to see and see what these guys can do. I know because we're, we're talking about rebuilding and part of that is being able to draft well, especially your higher picks. You want to see them pan out. That's why it's exciting to see that Seth Romero healthy and pitching well. It's exciting to see these guys, Brady House, off to an awesome start to the season. Um, you know, to see these guys doing well, doing well quickly is really important because you want those picks to pan out if you're trying to rebuild and rebuild rather quickly. Yeah, you mentioned Brady House, his first career home run in the pros it was a grand slam. Not a bad way to start off your professional career uh, for the Nationals' first-round pick from this past draft. So a lot of good news this week uh, on the minor league system. That's what you want to hear, and that's what you want to see. And let's get to move on and transition to our next topic of conversation of this rebuild in general. Um, Amy, you know, you're, you're obviously very aware. I'm sure all of our listeners and fans are very aware of the harsh criticisms and negative attention that teams around the major leagues have gotten recently this past week, specifically about rebuilding and tanking um, and, and how it's taking too long and it's it's not good for the sport and it's a disgrace, yada, yada, yada. Um, how do the Nationals kind of avoid this conversation a couple years from now? Obviously, there I think there are two differences, main differences uh, between the Nationals' uh, cases versus these other cases. But how do you think that the Nationals can avoid this and have a successful rebuild? I mean, obviously, the whole discussion and why people are so upset is because it's taking too long. I mean, that's the point point blank is that it's taking too long. People don't have, whether it's the patience or want to have the patience for those rebuild. They want their team to be competitive. You shouldn't have to completely tank um, to rebuild, to win a world series or be competitive again. Um, and that's, what's going to be key for the nationals is to shorten that rebuild and turn this around rather quickly. And luckily for the nationals, I think they're quite capable of that. I mean, you've seen it. Mike Rizzo has a track record. I mean, back to 2012, winning the division and staying competitive, um, having slight turnover, filling in the gaps and winning a world series. And now they're going to kind of have to regroup and try to do that again, which is really, really difficult. Um, but lucky, luckily for them, they were, they had the pieces to trade and be able to get these prospects that are major league, ready, whether we're already seeing it in Josiah Gray 
or they're just a few months away in Caber Ruiz. Um, these guys are major league ready prospects and most teams either, you know, they kind of, they're going to make those trades. So they're going to get those prospects that might not be major league ready. And then they don't really have anybody left to be the foundation of the rebuild, but the nationals were able to trade away Scherzer Turner, get these prospects back. And they also have talent back at home in Juan Soto to be the foundation for the rebuild. So I think that the combination of those things um, are going to shorten that time period, kind of give them a little shortcut to a, uh, to a rebuild that other teams that are rebuilding don't have the luxury of. Yeah, that was my first point, actually, and that, that's, that's perfect because I, I agree. I think the major difference uh, between the Nationals and some of these other teams that are rebuilding, the first one to me that sticks out is the talent at the major league level. This is a team that was built this past offseason to compete uh, this year. And, yes, they had a huge sell-off, but that there are still pieces, like you mentioned, Soto, uh, that are still around that are very good players and, and MVP caliber players. So I think that's a major difference right now between you look at the other teams that are currently in a rebuild, have been for a couple of years now. The Nationals are obviously the team um, of this group that are, are just recently starting or, you know, I guess the most recent rebuild. But you look at teams like the Orioles, Tigers, Royals, Mariners, Rangers, Marlins, Pirates, Rockies, Diamondbacks. All those teams have been in recent rebuilds. And, you know, coming into the season, the Nationals were one of those or the only out of those teams that had a major league team that looked to compete. It obviously did not work out that way, but you've got guys like Soto. You figure to have guys like Patrick Corbin bounce back next year and Steven Strasburg healthy. Uh, you know, you've got major league. And I guess you can also expand it, like you said, to the talent at the minor league level that's knocking on the door. We've seen Josiah Gray. We talked about Kiber Ruiz, like you mentioned. So I think that's a major league, that's a big difference in the Nationals' case is that this is not a completely tear it down uh, from top to bottom, start from scratch. This is kind of, we've always called, talked about a retooling as opposed to rebuilding. You know, they're kind of starting halfway through it already because there are players that they want to build around at the major league level. They don't have to trade these guys off for scraps and, and start over and, and put themselves three years behind the ball. They're ready to compete uh, they were supposed to be ready to compete this year. Uh, that kind of gives them a head start in this. And that also, I think, ties into this being a good decision for them uh, to to do this right now because of the way this season was going. And, you know, I, I don't think rebuilding or tanking is a bad thing, right? It shouldn't be criticized as harshly as it does. Maybe when teams go to the extreme and you don't see, like you mentioned, the immediate returns or the long-term return. The, the easy team to point out right now is the Orioles, right? They just lost 19 in a row. Uh, this is year three of their rebuild. People are, aren't are considering them close to being competitive. I would disagree, but this is, we, we don't have to go into that right now. Um, but the point is that the Nationals have a better major league roster right now than the Orioles do. And while the Orioles have a better farm system right now, we just saw the Nationals jump up from last to 20th in, in MLB Pipeline's farm system ranking. So that's progress that's being made in, in a couple of months. You know, that's basically starting with the draft in June or July. And, uh, and now we're here and they're, they're already in the middle third as opposed to being dead last in farm rankings. So I think that's a major difference right now uh, between the Nationals and some other rebuilds we've seen across the sport. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, because if they wouldn't have had the trade pieces and Scherzer and Turner, they wouldn't have gotten not only the caliber of of these prospects back, but 
prospects that are ready to play at the major league level or really close. Oftentimes, you know, they teams unload, get all of these prospects in return, and it takes years before you see them at the major league level. So that's going to make this a lot quicker. Um, and then I think you throw in the Nationals money. I mean, you know that Mike Rizzo is willing to spend money um, when when the, when the time is right. And that is the key to a to um, a successful rebuild. You get these prospects up to fill in those gaps, and then you have to go out and get get talent and spend some money. Um, and I think that's where Mike Rizzo not only will be able to be quicker, but be successful in that where other organizations may not. I mean, they can they can retool all they want. They can go out and get all these prospects, be trying to rebuild. And then if you're not going to spend money at the end of the day, it, it's not going to work. And what we know as a rebuild in baseball today. Amy Jennings goes away for vacation. We're not in the same room and we do not skip a beat. That's the exact same number two. That's my number two point as well. Uh, more so being in a major market with ownership willing to spend at the major league level. Look, I mean, Washington, D.C. is a top three, maybe four at best, at worst, uh, market in, in the country behind New York and L.A. and maybe Chicago. They're probably one, they're probably right there with Chicago. Uh, and, like, if you want to run out of the top five, San Francisco's after that. Either way, they're a top five market in the country. You look at those other teams I mentioned, Baltimore, Detroit, uh, Seattle, Arlington, Texas. Miami technically should be a big market, but the Marlins are probably the last team that anyone cares about down there behind the Heat, the Dolphins, um, and um, uh, what's their hockey team name? The Panthers. I mean, maybe they're three, four, whatever they may. They're just not the main priority down there. So they should be a major market, but they're not. Pittsburgh, Colorado, Arizona, uh, Kansas City. Those are just aren't major markets, and Washington, D.C. should crush them, should crush them, right? And so when you have an owner willing to spend, uh, look, look, like I said, the, they just built this roster to compete. Uh, it's not like they are not signing any, any free agents uh, at the major league level or only minor league free agents or just – you know, piecing together a roster for the sake of tanking or whatever you want to call it. No, they are trying to compete. And we've already mentioned that we expect them to go out and sign a free agents this offseason. You know, they're going to add to this roster because they're going to have to. And, and Mike Rizzo and Dave Martinez aren't going to let this team just go out and lose 100-plus games without trying to do something uh, different. So I agree. I think that being in a major market, having an ownership that – wants a winner, understands situation though, but still wants to do their best, I think helps a lot and differentiates them from the other teams that are rebuilding. And then you also look, I mean, what what can the Nationals do then in-house, right? Those are kind of outside factors. Uh, I guess the willingness to spend money is, is an inside factor, but what can they do in-house? Well, look, the Nationals right now, we just talked about how they went from 30 to 20 in the farm system rankings, that's starting with Brady House, right? Uh, the Their first-round draft pick last year. They're looking at a top 10, maybe top 5 pick in next year's draft. That's another one you're going to have to hit on. Maybe add pitching depth. Maybe get a slugger, you know, that will eventually be your starting first baseman, a la Torkelson in Detroit, something like that. Um, so that's maybe one of their first steps you can take in the long run. Uh, to kind of build up this this farm system. They're not really looking to add too deep at the major league level. It's more so adding prospects at the minor league level, particularly double A and lower, I would think, uh, for a setup uh, another decade plus of contention. Right, and I think that's the key is that 
some a lot of teams that are rebuilding is there's so much pressure on the draft every single year and you can't miss with those top five picks when you're trying to build a whole roster from scratch because you've completely cleared house the nationals kind of have uh, an advantage here where they still have that talent they obviously have gained a lot of talent through trades um, in their farm system and there's a little bit less pressure on the draft every single year obviously they still have to draft well that's a huge piece of the rebuild continuing to build that farm system continuing to advance through the rankings the farm system rankings um, but they don't have to necessarily hit on every single pick the way the pressure is with other organizations I think that are going through rebuilds right now that have had top five picks for however many years in a row yeah I mean look at t- like Pittsburgh had one just this past draft uh, obviously, Detroit had one last year. Baltimore before that. Those got. I mean, it's too early to see. You know what those com- uh, those picks make or become, right? Um, but you know, it's yes. Adley Rutschman is the number one prospect in baseball, and you figured he'll be in an Orioles jersey next year. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the Orioles are going to be competitive next year. That's, yeah, that's one piece to the puzzle. They have, however, many other you know roster spots to fill. Yeah. So it's drafting is definitely helpful. And it definitely helps in the long term. But like we've always talked about, in baseball, you can't really draft for major league need because it's going to take a year or two, in best case scenarios, for these guys to come up and make a difference. And, uh, you know, we just talked about how the Nationals drafted Brady House. Uh, That was not a, a, a major league need. That was an organizational need that they need more offense down there because they've always surrounded themselves with pitching. Uh, and they, need, they they had one of the best high school, if not the best high school shortstop available to them. He was the best player on the board. You got to take it. And that's just the strategy you're going to have to go through with every single year. And, you know, they're right now kind of in a battle with the Cubs in Miami for the number five overall pick. They could probably get as high as five if or, or as low as seven, maybe eight, probably not, though, uh, in the standings for next year's draft. So, that's one step, right? And then also you're kind of counting on the development for everyone else you already have in place. We just talked about uh, Cavalli and Kiber Ruiz. Those guys, no one's a sure thing, but you would figure that those guys will be pretty good major leaguers someday. You know, any rebuild, anytime an organization chooses to do something like this, it's always a crapshoot. It's always a gamble because you can never, ever predict the future and guarantee that all these moves are going to pay out. We could be looking back in two years from now being like trading Max Scherzer and Trey Turner was the smartest move Mike Rizzo ever made. Or we could be saying the opposite and being like, how could they get Josiah Gray and Kiba Ruiz? They have done nothing. That's obviously a worst case scenario, but you know my, you know what I mean? So it's always a gamble. And uh, I, I think it does take, you know, some guts from teams to admit that this is what they have to try to do. It's just a matter of, can you pull it off and, and, you can only do so much with these young prospects to turn them into major leagues. Eventually, it falls on the player. And that's the advantage of the Nationals can do a quick rebuild where they're – because in the draft, you're taking the best player available. You obviously can't, just like you said, draft for need at the big league level. Well, they can do that, and they have a good idea of the talent they have at a big league level. So while they're drafting, while they're improving this farm system – 
when the time is right, which might be just two years from now, they can go out and fill their needs at the big league level by signing free agents and spending that money. A lot of times with other organizations and other teams, they're kind of washed at the big league level temporarily, and they're just getting the best player, the best player, the best player. It takes a lot lot longer to reboot that um, that farm system and, of course, fill out what's going to be a competitive team at the big league level. So hopefully they can do that kind of quickly. And the good thing with the Nationals, too, is that they're not starting from scratch. Mike Rizzo has been there for years and years and years. They didn't they don't have a whole new front office. They have a system here um, and, and they have that advantage, too. Yeah. And that that's, that's a great point. And, and to kind of expand on that, like all the teams I just I kind of I'm, I'm comparing the Nationals rebuild to um, Orioles, Tigers, Royals, Mariners, Rangers, Marlins, Pirates, Rockies, Diamondbacks. Those teams have not been competitive in a long time. And you think about it, the Nationals won a World Series, right? And so they did everything the right way. You know, they're kind of paying for it right now, but you would always take that ring and that trophy every single time. You know, the Orioles haven't, they were the most competitive team in the American League between 2012 and 2016, haven't had a winning season since. Uh, the Tigers, I think, last made the playoffs when Max Scherzer was with the team. Uh, the Royals won a World Series a handful of years ago, so in, in 2015. So that probably was worth it. But we haven't seen the Mariners make the playoffs in uh, almost a decade, almost two decades. Uh, the Rangers last made the playoffs in the 2012 AL Wild Card game. I think the Pirates have only one playoff appearance since 2015 or something like that. The Rockies same, and the Diamondbacks same, all in wild cards, I believe. Not even getting to the second round. The Nationals have been competitive for the past handful of, you know, since 2012, essentially. Over, since 2020 and this year are the only seasons that they really haven't been in the mix. And you look at it, we there is a blueprint from other teams around baseball that you, you can pull off this mini rebuild and be very quickly uh, uh, competitive again. Look at the Yankees. They didn't win a championship, obviously. But they suffered a couple of seasons that they did not play particularly well. They say, traded off a bunch of people, uh, and, uh, like Chapman to the Cubs, and uh, got a lot of prospects back. And now here they are. They've, they've catapulted themselves back into playoff contention late in the season. Um, uh, the Red Sox, they won a World Series in 18. They were terrible last year and the year before that. And now here they are again, knocking on the door of a postseason appearance, even after trading Mookie Betts. Uh, the Giants, kind of similarly, they were pretty terrible for a couple of years. Now they're the best team in baseball. So there is a blueprint of other teams doing uh, this kind of rebuild, retooling in a short amount of time. And the Nationals are just hoping that they kind of fall in that category. Right, because the idea of completely tanking and completely rebuilding is rather new and not completely proven. We know it has worked some places, but that doesn't mean that it's going to work everywhere. Um, and the, I mean, there aren't too many teams across really any sport that can kind of win a championship, come back, come back, come back. Um, and so if Mike Rizzo can kind of pull it off, it's going to be rather impressive in, in a short amount of time because there are examples like the Yankees who never really have to rebuild. It's just they're always kind of retooling and they're back in the competitive mix. So Dodgers. it'll be interesting. To see, yeah, Dodgers. It'll be interesting to see if they can kind of pull, pull that off and, and continue to win. Um, but you don't really see it across any sports that, that often. Yeah, this is, I mean, it's another example of how winning in baseball is so hard. And you talk about a crapshoot. That is, I mean, the Dodgers have been one of the most successful teams in this sport for 
what, fifth, the last 15 years, 20 years or so. And they just won their first World Series since 1988, last year. I mean, it's just, you can be as good as you want. That doesn't necessarily result in championships, right? There's a reason that we haven't had back-to-back World Series champions since the 99-2000 Yankees. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah you're exactly right. That's, that's really hard to do. And now, well, I mean, that's why I think this new cyclic method in baseball where you're completely wiping house and rebuilding after you win a championship or, you know, when you're just really bad and you're just going to start from scratch, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, every team of course would want to be the Dodgers or the Yankees. Of course, those teams come with high payrolls. Uh, We talked about the nationals having similar payrolls, uh, but there is even a blueprint of doing that with not, I mean, look at the Rays. The Rays have been very competitive since uh, the late 2000s, like 2009, when they met, when they made their first World Series, um, and they've stayed competitive, and, and they do that with a very low payroll, a very good farm system, turning prospects into major leaguers, trading off prospects to get people that they need into the major league roster at the right time, and then rinse and repeat. I mean, there, there is a blueprint for that kind of strategy too. It'll be interesting to see how the Nationals kind of follow, like wh- which path do they take? Do they? Well, one, maybe make their own path, kind of splitting the difference, or do they kind of go the route of, no, we are a you know top five payroll market, uh, richest owners in baseball team. We can go ahead and pay major leaguers to be competitive every year, and we can also have a very good deep farm system, or are they going to go more so the, the raise route, which is like, you know, let's save a little bit at the major league roster for now. Because, uh, you know, Juan Soto's coming, free agency is coming up in a couple of years. And, and just build strength through the farm system and hope these guys pan out and make the right moves. Look, they the learners, of course, have full trust in Mike Rizzo. All Nationals fans should as well. And, and Davey Martinez, you know, he's done this for years, like you mentioned. And obviously won a World Series. So it's just going to be curious in my mind to see which kind of path they take, whether they go the conservative route financially or they kind of go you know we are we're, we're going to put our big boy pants on be a major market team and go spend a few cash while also revamping the farm system right i mean the rays are a team that are particularly impressive in how they can turn over always have a good farm system and be competitive at the big league level and just know i mean their prediction on talent when to turn guys over when to get rid of guys when to sign them is really really impressive and i think mike rizzo has a fairly decent track record of that as well i mean Right now, it's looking like letting Rendon walk was the right move. I think the Scherzer deal um, and and what, what Patrick Corbin is able to do in the rest of his contract might be kind of telling to how that all turns out and to how quickly they can rebuild um, because obviously there's a, a lot of money tied up in those contracts and that's not looking too good right now. Um, but but Mike Rizzo, fairly, and some of it's still kind of – kind of wait to see how some of these these deals turned out but he has he knows he has a pretty good um level of prediction on talent uh when to let guys walk and and when to sign them that's the that's the that's the job though right i mean that is kind of just everybody not every yeah not every organization not every team is particularly good at that (laughs) right yeah but you know Every organization, for every good move that Mike Rizzo makes, there's going to be one that doesn't pan out. You know, the Dodgers do the same thing. You could argue, I know it resulted in a World Series, but Cody Bellinger hasn't had a very good season. Mookie Betts seemingly has hurt a lot um, and isn't his normal self. That's kind of the reason why they went out and got Trey Turner. That's why they felt like they needed a Trey Turner, and that could prove to be a smart move. But you could argue that some of the moves they made in the past 
haven't worked out. And that's just the nature of the beast, right? right. You just want you want more good moves than bad, and right. then you'll go down as as a good GM. Yeah. Um, but like I said, also just being able to win. Obviously, it's not back to back championships, but winning within a certain amount of years is kind of how you go down in, in history as well. Well, I think it's undoubtedly that Mike Rizzo's best move is getting Lane Thomas for John Lester because oh every single night we're just reminded that the Nationals gave up John Lester for this guy. Now they're a leadoff hitter and starting center fielder who all he does is get on base and score runs. That's all he does, and that's all they need him to do and play great defense because he's so fast. Right. That, that's that's looking pretty good. And then, and then you know, we, we talked about it last week, or you, you talked about it, and I think it's a really good point, is Juan Soto's attitude and how you kind of hope he finishes the season on a high note, like, mentally. Um, and part of a rebuild is you need those guys to buy in. If Max, I mean, if Juan Soto is going to be the foundation – Talent-wise, of your rebuild for the time being, seeming if it, if it's going to be a quick turnover, you need those guys to buy in because you can't do it without them, and you need him to be a leader and you need him to step up. In the formula that we've seen across baseball, you have that foundation, like you saw with the Astros, um, and so you need those guys to buy in, and you kind of hope Juan Soto finishes the season with a good attitude, and, and you kind of see that across the rest of your team. Well, Wanso, if he keeps drawing, walks the way he is, I feel like he should be in a good space as the season ends in terms of his production and his performance. But yeah, I, I, I agree. And, you know, how can you... I know it's difficult. They ended up losing the game, too. You're still battling for last place in the division. You're only up... You're up by three games against the, the Marlins. Um, but, you know... You so, how can you not be encouraged by the moves that they just made when you go out and see Josiah Gray pitch again like they he did last night? Um, Lane Thomas at the top of the order, like we mentioned. Riley Adams, what he's done behind the plate. Um, and then you know, if you're Juan Soto, you have to have a good understanding that Kiber Ruiz is going to be there soon. You've got a pitcher like Kate Cavalli waiting in the wings for next season. There are pieces there um, that should give him optimism, uh, the losing is still going to come. I mean, there are obviously very a lot of question marks across this major league roster. They're not going to win uh, too many games for the rest of the season. They're probably going to lose more than they win, but that's going to be okay. That's okay because you're seeing he's going to be able to see firsthand some of the progressions they made. Maybe by the end of the season, they're not losing as many games as they were, or they're not losing them in the way that they were because it seems like the bullpen is blowing a lot of games. Maybe you see some of these guys kind of learn and, and grow and become better right before season ends, and you can have a better mindset going into next year. Right. I mean, I think, and I think that's why David Martinez is trying to get as many guys, as many innings as possible to kind of get them comfortable, allow them to grow at the big league level. When you're competitive, you don't get that opportunity. So I think that's really important. And like you mentioned earlier, this team isn't intentionally tanking. Yeah. They're going to still win. They're still claiming guys. Look at Mike Ford. They're still picking guys up, trying to, they're not trying to completely tank. Um, they want to win games, and I, hopefully that helps the attitude. Hopefully that allows guys to buy in a little bit easier because winning, I mean, losing does suck. <laughs> you want, you don't want to lose every single day. So I think that should give them a little optimism that they're they're, they're still winning some games. They're just growing and, and developing at the same time. Yeah, and tanking, I mean, I think in any sport, but especially in baseball, tanking, is far from a sure thing. Yes, it it helps. Like it definitely helps more in basketball and football, probably. But baseball, like we, we talked about, the draft being a crapshoot. You can't just assume that because you get the number one overall pick 
next year that you're going to be good again in two or three years. I mean, that's just not how the system works and how the sport works because of all of the ladders that guys have to climb to get to the major league level. They're not just automatically put into the starting lineup the next day. So it is uh, it, tanking is definitely difficult, and you're right. They're not tanking. Davey Martinez has said multiple times on record that he is not going to lose. He hates losing. They do not plan on losing games. Um, this is... He's always said a retooling, not a rebuild. Rebuild insinuates that they're losing uh, on purpose. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's a good a, a good point in that they are not out there actively trying to lose. You know, they're not going to try to go after the number one overall pick next year. They will be very happy if they get, you know, the 8-9, maybe even outside the top 10 next year because that means they won a handful of games to end this season, which then means you also saw some growth from some players that you weren't expecting to. So it's kind of a win-win if you, you know, either way, honestly. Yeah, and, you know, the, of course the higher the pick, the better. But look at how far, you know, some of the top talent or the projected top talent in this draft, look at how far they slid. Um, you know, some of the top teams took guys under slot. Like, you just never know how an MLB draft is going to pan out. You obviously never know how the guys that you do draft are going to pan out, and it's so different than every other sport, and there's years before you see them at the big league level. So, higher draft pick, better, but that doesn't necessarily equate to a successful rebuild, um, and especially in the Nats case, I think it's going to be a little less important. A year ago, Kumar Rocker was the sure thing number one pick overall this in this draft and he went number 10 overall and then didn't even sign so it goes to show how much not only can change in a year from draft to draft but how much of you know it's just a gamble on any one of these guys uh coming out of, of college and high school and baseball because it is just it's tough you can never tell you can only trust your eyes and just hope that your system put in place in your own organization can help these guys grow and develop and get better at some point be a, a contributor at the major league level so I, to me, those are kind of all the different prongs. If you're if you're looking at the perfect blueprint of how to do this rebuild and how to do it quickly and how to do it successfully, those are kind of all the, the things that have to go right. You know, a lot of it is kind of luck. Like I said, it's 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 a gamble. It's a risk to kind of go it go this route, go this direction. But if you do it the right way, it can work out in your favor. But some of it is luck, and you and you need the guys that you pick to be a part of this to to pan out, to be good players, and and to you know be successful for you sooner rather than later. Yep, that's exactly right. They have a good foundation right now with Juan Soto. They have these prospects that are major league ready. I have I'm confident that Mike Rizzo is going to spend money. Um, when, when the time comes and you kind of hope everything else pans out and everybody buys in and you hope that the money that you have tied up and Steven Strasburg and Patrick Corbin ends up working out and they are a part of this team when it's competitive again in just a few years, hopefully. Yep. Yeah, and, and don't forget, next year, I mean, ideally, it's not likely, but I theoretically this team could be maybe not postseason competitive, but... 500 ball competitive because you were expecting Strasburg back. You're expecting Patrick Corbin to kind of revert to what he normally was, or at least what, what he was in 2019. You obviously still have Juan Soto. You're going to have a Josiah Gray, a Kiba Ruiz, top prospects up in the roster. Uh, you know, maybe Victor Robles takes a step forward. Carter Keebum was good at the plate, yada, yada, yada. You know, theoretically, this team could be not totally, uh, you know, a last, a surefire last place finisher next year. They should have some solid major leaguers at the, at the level and uh, be able to compete to some extent. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And we really didn't even touch on Carter Kibu, Luis Garcia, those guys that are kind of on the outskirts that you hope they take a step. And they are seemingly taking a step this year, uh, developing a little bit. So you hope that they can produce next year, too. And you, you win some games. And then within two, three years, it's a completely different story. Yep. Well, they are definitely going to continue to play, Keebum and uh, Garcia, and you know, the next chance to see them play will be tonight. 7 o'clock game, finishing up a series in Miami, 6.30 pregame, all on Masson. Dan, Bob, and FP will have the call for you. Actually, I think Mark Zuckerman is pinch hitting for uh, Dan Coco tonight, so you'll see Mark, Bob, and FP uh, tonight on the call. Uh, thanks for so much for tuning in to this week's Mass and All Access podcast. Of course, you can catch the Mass and All Access podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud. We also go live video every week on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Make sure you give Mass and Nationals a follow across the board so you know exactly when and where we are going live and can tune in and comment along. We really appreciate it. At Amy Jennings News for Amy, give her a follow. She'll have a new uh, piece coming up relatively soon about this very topic and the Nationals rebuild. Some more thoughts from her coming up. Amy, thank you so much for uh, your time and I'm uh, looking forward to seeing your piece. Yeah, see you next week. All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Mass and All Access Podcast. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in and hitting subscribe. Really appreciate you guys. Stay healthy, stay safe, enjoy the games, and we'll talk to you next week.